Yellen sends one to right center and deep. Get up! by following reviewing through on Twitter. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Trilogy underscore pod or by searching Wisconsin Sports Trilogy on Facebook. And joining me as always is my cheesehead loving buddy Trevor. He is the host of the Packers Trilogy podcast. He can be found on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor. Trevor, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. You know, the weekend is almost here as we're recording this. Which is a, a little strange for our Brewer podcast in the offseason. Typically, we wait for the weekend to record these. It's a little different this week. It's nice to kind of get it out of the way. I'm excited for the weekend. Uh, and then you gave me this list of players that we're about to talk about, and it made me feel very overwhelmed. So now I don't really know what to think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the list is about as overwhelming as like, I don't know, like a high school geometry test or you know something like that. It's, it was... It's like those multiplication tables back in grade school. Like, you're like, oh, God, I'm not ready for this. This is way too much. That's exactly what it felt like when I looked at this list of players that we're about to talk about. Yeah, so obviously, hinted at, we're talking about free agency today. And specifics, we're going to talk about the offense today because, as we mentioned, there's there's a boatload of players. I mean, the talent levels kind of hit or miss. Uh, but just offense today, we'll get to pitching in another podcast. And there's a lot of different ways we can start. And you mentioned multiplication tables like, you know, there's A plus B equals C. Well, we also have to take into consideration when talking about the free agents. We don't know what the Brewers are going to do at some of these positions either. So they have decisions to make on certain positions. And, you know, there's still rumors about if DH is going to come back next year. The latest I've heard right now is that it's not because it's some complicated thing um, by some some good source in the Major League Baseball. Something to do with have to make another union. And it, it just sounds like something that won't happen. So we'll take all that or keep all that in the back of our mind as we talk about these free agents here on offense. So on to start today, let's start at the catcher position. So obviously the Brewers have decisions to make on Omar Narvaez and Manny Pena. Um, but looking at the free agent pool, there are a few that catch my eye. Obviously, JT Ramuto from the Phillies is number one, uh, but he's way out of our price range. So we're not even going to talk about him. We're just zipping that off right now. So the one guy I saw, Trevor, and I want to talk about is James McCann. He is currently with the White Sox, and he lost his job when Yosemite Grandal came to town last offseason. 
He was a one-time All-Star, in that, and that was last year in 2019, and he slashed 273, 328, 460, and then 896 that year. Not necessarily a super good power hitter, but he hits up the middle. He's a very good pitch framer, and in terms of getting the ball out quick, uh, very good defensive catcher, throws a lot of runners out. Um, so I feel like he could potentially be an upgrade over what Manny Pena is because James McCann is a right-handed thrower, right-handed batter. Um, but what do you got on James McCann? To me, they sound like very, very similar players. And yeah, he had a little bit better of a season in 2020 than Manny Pena did. Granted, in a shortened season, Manny Pena had a very short season with him going out on the I.L., but if you look back at, say, their career stats, I'm on baseball reference. For Manny Pena, batting average of 255, uh, on base of 318, slugging of 408, which means his OPS is 726 for his career. And then you look at McCann, he's got a batting average of 250. So that's six points lower than Manny Pena, on base percentage of 300, which is again lower by 18 points, slugging percentage of 394. That's lower, and the OPS is also lower, under 700 there. So to me, yeah, McCann might have had a little bit better 2020 season, but they're very, very similar players. It's not like Manny Pena has immensely better stats. So to me, it's it's about who you can get at a better price. Manny Pena makes a little bit more sense to me just because of having him in the system already, knows the pitchers, knows how to, how to catch those pitchers, all those types of things is – is an added benefit. So if, if we get Manny Pena, especially if we get Manny Pena for less money, I think it's a no-brainer to me that we keep Manny Pena and kind of, because my thought is right now, you keep Manny Pena and you hopefully, you got to find someone at the catcher position because Omar Narvaez did not seem like he was it last year. Um, can he come back? Is he even going to come back to the Brewers next year? That's a, that's a question too. So, to me, my choice would be Manny Pena for the next like two years, and you got to get someone in here that can be your more long-term play at the catching position. Yeah, I completely get what you're saying there. I mean, Manny Pena's getting up there in age, and now we talk about James McCann, who's going in. He's 30 right now, so I mean, I think he's got to be what a little younger than Manny Pena right now, but but not by much. And you talked a little bit about price value. Well. Over the last two seasons, Manny Pena's averaged in the $1.6 to $1.8 million range. And James McCann, since he was non-tendered by Detroit in 2018, he signed one-year deals each of the last two years. And one was for a trillion, the other one was for 5.4. So uh, big jump there. Obviously, he got that 5.4 after his tremendous 2019 season when he was an all-star. So then you're kind of looking at, okay, what kind of price range could you get McCann for? You know, I think the safe bet to say is somewhere between three and five million, right? I mean, he was essentially a backup this year in 2020 um, with Yasmani Grandal playing for the White Sox. Um, so I feel like James McCann could be affordable, but like you're saying, Pena's been in the system. He's probably still going to cost less than James McCann, um, although I think James McCann might just be a slight upgrade offensively, but is the price different worth it? I, I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, and, and you mentioned age. Uh, it does look like Manny Pena is almost three years older. Actually, he is three years older than him 
at 33 years of age. So that that is maybe a little bit of a concern. You know, they mention 35 is typically where you start seeing a big decrease um, in statistics for players, especially players that aren't superstar players. And Manny Pena is not one of those. So to me, maybe you get a year out of Manny Pena. If you're lucky, you get two good years out of Manny Pena. So I guess if you, you bring that age thing into into consideration, you know, is a little bit more money for James McCann for two years, two, three years, a better option when you know that he's still not your long-term catcher, but it gives you a little bit more time to try to figure it out, you know, figure if you have anyone in the system that's going to be capable of that, all those types of things. Oh, gosh, yeah, the system is, <laughs> that's another interesting point you bring up, like Feliciano, Peyton Henry, um, they're not protected by the Rule 5 draft this year, which is conversation for another podcast, um, but the Brewers might have to add both those guys to the 40-man roster, so, I mean, that might play a factor into what they do here in free agency period, and, I mean, I wanted to bring up James McCann because I think under JT Ramuto, he's probably the best option that you can have at catcher and probably one of the more realistic ones. But kind of based off what we're saying, I don't think we can really justify forking over a little bit extra money for maybe a potential upgrade offensively. Um, is kind of where I'm going to leave this here um, in terms of catcher free agency talk. Well, Tyler, Tyler, we have a catcher on the market. His name is Eric Kratz. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. I forgot that guy's still playing. Wasn't he playing for the Yankees again this year? Did he go back there, or am I imagining uh, that? I I don't remember, but I saw his name on the list, and I was like, oh, that has to be brought up. Granted, he is 40 years old at this point, so probably not a very good option, but definitely had to mention Eric Kratz. He deserves some some love here on this Brewers podcast. When that guy like finally does retire from actually playing the game, he's just going to go like be the full-time bullpen catcher for some major <laughs> league team. He's, he's never going to give it up. I mean, kudos for that guy. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. Let's move out of the catcher position because that's just such a gray area, um, which we're going to move into another gray area. Let's switch over to kind of first slash third base free agencies here. So, Obviously, the Brewers have to make a decision on Jerko. Um, Vogelbach still there. He's going to be a Super 2 player this year, so might get a little bit more money. And then at third base, Urias will most likely be there next year in 21, and Brewers have to make a decision on Sogard, who spent some time there as well. So kind of looking at realistic options, the first guy that really caught my eye was Jake Lamb. And my first point I want to make about Jake Lamb is I feel like if the Brewers go out and sign him, it's going to be very much the same type of feeling like when we signed all of our players from last offseason. Like you're hoping for a rebound with this guy. Like you're hoping he returns to form because he had two great seasons for the Diamondbacks in 16 and 17. 2017 was his all-star year. He was around 30 home runs both of the year, both of those years, around 90 to 100 RBIs. And then just with the flip of a switch, just stopped hitting in 2018. Um, ended up getting traded to the Athletics this year. Actually had a little bit of success with the A's. Homered in his first game back. Had three overall after being traded. But what do you think about a potential Jake Lamb signing? Because he could play first or third base, although he'd be primarily a third baseman throughout his career. To me, I, I kind of get where you're coming from 
mainly third base. You look at that, stereotypically, that third baseman has power. But his batting average leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, career average of 239. You know, even his best seasons, you mentioned 2016, 2017, 249 in 2016. And then the next year, again, that all-star year in 2017, 248. 2015, he did hit for a little bit better average. He had 263. But like I said, career 240 hitter and really, really struggled in 2020, 2019. Both of those years, he was batting under 200 at 193 for each of those years, which is nuts that he got the same exact batting average. But yeah, not it's not someone that I would be overly excited about. To me, if Jake Lamb is the guy that we're able to sign at that position. To me, I'd rather just keep Jerko at first and keep Urias at third and live with that because Jerko really impressed me this year. And who knows what he's got left in the tank? Who knows how long we're going to be able to get some production out of him? But he he was very good in 2020 for us. And was probably the biggest bright spot, I think, um, on the offense. Like, And I don't even think that's that close. I think, you know, uh, Arcia played extremely well as, as well. But, yeah, not, not a very good offensive year. And he was one of the guys that was very consistent. You know, he batted 248, nothing spectacular. But he was very consistent and came up with timely hitting. So, if I had to choose between the two, I'd take Jed Jerko. I know they're not exactly similar players, um, but I'd take Jerko. And then the upside of Urias, I like a little bit more. Um, having him play third base, I, I am over Eric Sogard. I, I love nerd power, but he he fell off tremendously last year, and that's what I, this past year, and that's what I was afraid of um, that we were going to see more a regression to the mean compared to the year prior for Sogard. Yeah, I'm still really disappointed that Sogard signing just blew up in our face again. Um, but the closing thoughts, I guess, here for Jake Lamb. I mean, you mentioned the semi-low batting average, which is most certainly true. Um, but it is important to remember that he does walk a significant amount of much. I mean, in 2017, that all-star, he drew 87 walks. And throughout his career, he has always been up above a 10% walk rate um, when he's seeing a substantial amount of playing time. Um, so it does, definitely gives you an edge that way. He's going to give you a professional at bat, um, which it seems like the Brewers are lacking tremendously this year. Um, and then, of course, you know you think, like, how much is Jake Lamb going to cost you? Uh, you likely can sign him for less than $5 million is going to be my guess. He made five, like a little over 5 this year. Um, but he was still in arbitration, so you can't really can't really lose a whole lot of money there. Um, but now that he's free agent, it, it's a whole new ball game. So we'll see what happens there with Jake Lamb. Is there anyone else who caught your list on the free agent uh, market here for first or third base? So there's a guy that you mentioned on your list that actually interests me quite a bit, and that's CJ Crone. I am not like an overly huge fan of him. Like if they don't sign him, I'm not going to be heartbroken, but he's a guy that I think is a little bit more consistent than some of the other players we mentioned, you know, Jerko is pretty consistent, but some of the other players we mentioned on this podcast, like it, they're, they're up and down. There's been a lot of up and down years. Sogard, for example, um, you know, even Urias 
has been he's had showed flashes, but not very consistent overall. But CJ Crone seems to be very consistent. You look back at his stats. You know he had a bad bad 2020, um, and obviously we've talked about Hira and Christian Yelich having terrible 2020s as well. Um, so 2020, no matter if it was great for players or terrible for players, I'm not putting a lot of stock in that. So if you take that 2020 season out, 2017 was the only other year that he hit under 250 since he's been in the league. And you take that a step further, his OPS has always been over 700 and actually his lowest is 739 for his OPS. So he just seems like a more consistent player, even when he struggled and hit 190 this year. His OPS was 894. So to me, that seems like a guy that that gives you some of that slugging and power numbers, but also is fairly consistent at the plate in terms of actually getting on base. Oh, man, I have to laugh that you... Of all the players, you pick C.J. Crone because, for those of you who don't know, we share like a document where we put all our information in there. And literally, my sentence was, was a guy who I formerly thought the Brewers could sign, but I've since changed my mind. <laughs> and then Trevor goes out and says he wants him. <laughs> That's, that is entirely the reason why I picked him, honestly, because I knew you were going to ask me about any other players I had on my mind, and I didn't really. And then I looked at his stats, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely saying that, just to disagree with Tyler. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so here's my thing with C.J. Crone. When I... I thought he was someone the Brewers could have picked up at first base last year. I was all for him, kind of like you were, because I fell in love with the power numbers, <laughs> like you're talking, like the 250 batting average. All right, that's great, but if you're going to give me 25 to 30 homers, you're going to slug the ball, like, hell yeah, sign me up for that. But then I started digging a little deeper, and, and I'm like, God, like there's that 250 batting average, you know, roughly, but then you look at his on-base percentages, and there's – there's not a big, huge gap because he just doesn't walk a whole lot. <laughs> I mean, sure, his strikeout numbers are they're, they're pretty average, like mid-20s-ish, low-20s on normal. Uh, 2020 was a little bit high for him, but he was also injured this year. So then I was like, all right, what, what do you do with the difference here? I mean, you got a guy who can, who can slug a lot, but then that's about all he's really going to give you. I mean, obviously, it's not like a Chris Carter scenario where he's going to slug under the Mendoza line and hit 40 homers. Not quite that bad. Um, but just that, that low walk rate kind of scared me away from him here. So that was one of the bigger reasons why I said no to C.J. Crone. Well, and my argument to that is you have a power hitter. You're not really expecting them to walk. Did did Eric Thames walk a lot? Did, you know, some other players, I can't, of course now I can't think of anyone off the top of my head, but, like, typically your power hitters aren't going to be the ones to walk unless your name is Christian Yelich. So, or they're pitching around you intentionally walking, but he's not that level of a player. He's not a superstar player. He's not Barry Bonds. He's not, you know, Prince Fielder. You know, he's not that type of player. But to me, it just it feels like he's just a solid guy who hits for a decent average and gives you those power numbers. And look, like I said, I'm not going to be heartbroken if they don't sign him, but I just like the consistency of being able to hit, uh, again, outside of 2020. <laughs> Fair. I mean, 
The thing with you brought up Thames, though. I mean, Thames did walk a lot. His first year back with the Brewers drew 75 walks that year, then 51 in 2019. Kind of, you know, he didn't really play play a whole lot at first, um, but then got playing time as the season was winding on there. So Thames did walk a lot. Is I guess kind of what I'm getting at there. Yeah, you're right. I I looked at that after I said that. And I'm like, yeah, he did walk. What am I thinking? You're right. <laughs> That was that was not good on my part, but I, I'm okay with that. That's uh, that's a thing I'm okay with kind of dealing with. If if you don't walk as a power hitter, but you're hitting for a decent average, I'm okay with that. Fair. And the Brewers could bring Thames back potentially. I mean, the Nationals have to make a decision on him. He's got a four million dollar mutual option for next year, and then a one million dollar buyout. So. I mean, I think given how much Brewer fans miss Thames, they'd be like, why wouldn't the Nationals bring him back for that cheap of a contract? But, I mean, Thames didn't have a, a really good year with the Nationals. Hit just barely over 200, only had three homers. Um, so kind of a struggle for him there. So another, it could be an option. I wouldn't rule not, would not rule it out. One guy who's definitely going to be a free agent there and – in particular at first base, I'm kind of excited about this guy, and that's Matt Adams. So I remember him when he first busted in the league as a Cardinal. Since then, he's gone to the Nationals, uh, and he's really never been like the true everyday first baseman, but he still somehow finds a way to be consistently hanging around that 20 home run mark. <laughs> and he, he hits for his career as a 260 hitter. I mean, his strikeout numbers have increased over the last two years, but I feel like that's a guy who just give him a shot. I'm not quite sure why he hasn't in the past. Um, but if in limited chances you're hitting 20 homers, I feel like he could be a pretty good contributor for this Brewers ball club, especially being a lefty and coming into Miller Park. Yeah, that that's a good point. And, and the point I brought up with Crone was consistency. And Matt Adams has a pretty good overall you know, career batting average at two six, just under two sixty at two fifty nine. Walks is kind of a similar thing as as what Crone does. He doesn't walk a ton. Slugging percentage is pretty good. OPS overall, I think, is very good. There's years where he's over eight hundred by a significant margin, but then there's years he's under seven hundred by a significant margin. So a little bit more kind of inconsistency there for him but he's definitely a player that even with like you said not getting playing time he overall is pretty consistent um, and has been since he entered the league and that was all the way back in 2012 so you know he is a solid player you know all these players that we're mentioning seem like you know they're they're kind of just like rental options for a year or two because that's kind of what free agency is in baseball. You know, you, you get your, what, first free agent contract at, at best, what, 26? And I guess that's the same for football as well. But sometimes that goes out even longer, depending on when you, when you get into the league, all those types of things. But to me, there's, not, there, there's like guys that I wouldn't mind seeing on the Brewers, but there's no one that jumps out at me. And the guys that do jump out at you, you're like... Yeah, we we cannot afford a player like that. Or it's you know Justin Smoke was some of the other options, and I'm not a big fan of that. <laughs> Ugh, yeah. Let's not bring up Smoke. Ugh, that's too soon. Too soon. <laughs> All right, there is one more first baseman that I would like to talk about, and 
he's, I think, probably the most interesting, and that's Mitch Moreland. So the guy's 35 years old, very similar to like the C.J. Crone and Matt Adams that we just talked about throughout most of his career with Boston, like 250s hitter, walks occasionally. He's got good pop. He's normally around that 20-ish home run mark, kind of like we've been talking about the other guys. But also in this year, Mitch Moreland came in and was just on a tear. With Boston, he hit 328, ended up getting traded to the Padres for their postseason push, and now has a club option here um, for the 2021 season. So if that ends up getting declined, he will become a free agent. And, you know, 35 years old, I don't know who's necessarily going to fork over a lot of money for him. Um, so I think the biggest question with him is, do you buy this success that happened in 2020 with the increased batting average? And is it something you think the Brewers should pursue? You know, there's there's a saying out there that it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, I think it's the opposite with Mitch Moreland. It got better. Now it's going to get worse. You know, I mentioned that age 35 as a big factor, like the stats back it up almost to a T to every person at 35 that dip comes and these other players you get a year or two before you get there. So to me, I'm thinking it was just like a one last hurrah of greatness for him, or at least Mitch Moreland level greatness, if you will. But to me, I I don't, I wouldn't like the signing. I, I like the player overall. I've liked watching him in Texas and, and I, I growing up, my favorite player was David Ortiz. So I have a little bit of a soft spot for the Red Sox because of Ortiz. Don't don't laugh at me. <laughs> <laughs> Big Poppy was the shit. Um, <laughs> but I think for me, it's just it it just seems like a year or two late to bring him in and and realistically expect a meaningful contribution from him. Yeah, I totally get your point there. I'm going to agree with you. I'm I'm not buying it. Like 2020 was a short year, and you got to take some things with a grain of salt. And sorry, Mitch Moreland, that you're one of the grains of salt that, yep, not going to deal with it. Um, Someone else can keep you over there. Let's move over to third base here. As long as we're on this kind of topic of guys resurging, a free agent this year is going to be Tommy LaStella. So I say third base because he has ability to. He, he also is primarily a second baseman, but pretty good splits in terms of you know innings covered over both of those. Most people might remember him as a Cub. He was there for many years, and then also he goes to the Angels. And in 2019, the dude just found a power stroke. Maybe it was a baseball. I, I don't really know. <laughs> we won't get into that today. Um, but then he ends up fracturing his tibia, ending his season. And honestly, I was... I was kind of tracking him as 2020 started, and I was like, there's no way he's going to keep hitting. Well, he's kept hitting. <laughs> he's ended up traded to the A's this year as a rental player. He, he's, his numbers have just jumped off the table. And the intriguing part for me is if the Brewers want to pursue him is the fact that he's never earned more than $3 million in a single year. So he could be someone I think the Brewers could look at for a relatively cheap contract. Yeah, that money situation sounds like could be a um, an option, and it could be you know one of those cheap options that could hit. You know, David Stearns made a lot of those moves in the off se- this past off season. They didn't really work um, at all. <laughs> I don't think there was one that was 
that worked at all in 2020. Um, but this definitely could be one. You know, you look at career batting average of 274 and then 281 in 2020, and he's another guy that just anywhere he goes, he gets the job done. You mentioned, you know, he was with the Cubs for a while. Uh, he was in Atlanta his first year, and he's he's just all over the place. He's he's hit the ball and he's hit the ball well, and I don't think his home run balls. You know, you're not going to get a lot of that from him. But if he's hitting 275, 280, and even if you get him on a pretty good year next year, and he's hitting you know closer to 290, if he's hitting 290 and getting on base outside of that, you know, drawing some walks doing those types of things, I think that could be a solid option. And for $3 million, yeah, that you could do much worse for $3 million. Ask David Stearns and Justin Smoke about that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, and you mentioned, like, obviously that higher-ish batting average. He's a really good contact hitter. I don't know how long the power will be there for if that continues. Um, but I'm looking at his, his stack-ass numbers here. His strikeout percentage this year in 2020, 5.3. That's top 1% of the league. So that means he's got to be within the top five least amount of strikeouts of qualified hitters out there. And there are some pretty damn good hitters out there. So someone who could hit for contact would be a very refreshing change of pace on this Milwaukee Brewers team. Um, It'll be interesting to see if they go that route or not. Another guy that they could look at is Adini Hechevarria. Pretty sure I said that right. I was practicing it earlier. <laughs> yeah, you impressed uh, me. <laughs> uh, he's I mean, he's been with the Braves here for a while now. He's moved. Actually, I guess I lied. He's moved over the league over the past five seasons quite a bit. Most recently here with the Braves. Kind of similar to Stella. He's a contact hitter. Primarily been a pretty good solid backup. You know, when you're looking for a utility player, I feel like He's, you know, maybe a guy the Brewers could pick up. Better option than Sogard, I think, at this point. So what do you think about him? I miss Aaron Perez. That's what I think. I got I got nothing. Uh, I, I was surprised you got that name right because that looks, that looks and sounds um, about right. And I was not even going to attempt that. But I... Not a guy that has been on my radar at all. And for a utility, you mentioned utility guy, and instantly I could only think of Hernan Perez. I, I miss him. Yeah, I forgot to follow Hernan Perez this year, despite him being in the division. So, whoops. Sorry, Perez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move out of the outfield here, or out of the infield. Let's move to the outfield. This is, I know it's kind of weird to talk about the outfield with the Brewers because I feel like they're pretty much set in stone. I mean, Kane, Yelich, Garcia are all locked up under contract for next year, so I feel like they're going to get the majority of the innings. There are are a couple outfielders who are intriguing. I mean, most of them are out of the Brewers' price range. Um, But one guy I think worth mentioning is Kevin Piar. So I mentioned him because... He's been with the Red Sox for a while. He's traded to Colorado this year as a rental. Very high contact hitter. Very, very fast. Um, for a center fielder, when he's right, he has above above average power for his position. Um, he's been on the rise. He, he can be a game changer. And when you think you have a, an aging Lorenzo Cain, I feel like the upside of 
PR might actually outweigh Lorenzo Kane, believe it or not. And PR will be a lot more cheaper because Lorenzo Kane is going to be the Brewers' most high-paid player this year. And Kevin PR, you're looking at a contract, if I had to guess, it's going to be over $6 million. How much over? I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, I'll keep with my main man, Lorenzo Kane. I've mentioned that 35 multiple times on this podcast, and he's 34. But I'm not ready to give up on him. Uh, he is my guy, and it was it was sucked not seeing him out there the majority of this year. But I still think he's got a couple of years left in the tank. Uh, and you know the way he started 2020 really makes me feel like that's going to be the case, and he's going to be able to handle whatever it takes. And by the way, I did look up Hernan Perez's stats. He got less at bats than Lorenzo Cain did this year. He had six. Lorenzo Cain had 18. So, yeah, yeah, not a great, great outing for him. But, you know, that's what you get for going to Chicago, I guess. You know, at least Jeremy Jeffress did well with Chicago. He was actually named one of the finalists for NL Reliever of the Year, which caught me completely off guard. <laughs> yeah, I when I saw that, I was actually dumbfounded i i didn't know what to say i'm like uh what that doesn't make any sense to me i did not i did not expect that from him i mean jeremy jeffress is i loved watching him pitch i love how intense he gets when he's on the mound i loved him as a brewer so good for him just next time can you do it like on the other side of chicago can you go to the white Sox and do that and i'll be fine like yasmani grandal can go off because he went to the correct side of chicago (laughs) <laughs> That's a very fair point. Gio Gonzalez, <laughs> he can do the same thing. He can go off yeah, as yeah, well. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Let's end this free agent here with let's just reach for someone. Let's ignore the payroll. We know it's going to be tight. Let's find someone that you like and just say, screw the cost. I mean, there's a bunch of guys to choose from that we left out so far. Yadier Molina is going to be a free agent. Justin Turner's a free agent. Uh, Marwin Gonzalez can kind of play anywhere from shortstop to first base to outfield, free agent. DJ LeMahieu, uh, a ton of Astros, George Springer, Josh Reddick, Michael Brantley are all free agents. Um, and then Marcel Azuna as well. So out of those guys or anyone else you saw on the free agent list, who's your reach when you can ignore this, the budget? So... When I can ignore the budget, and I don't know how great of a fit it is in terms of the position he plays defensively, but instantly, you know, you have this list typed out in front of me of of p- players that were out of our price, price range, and Marcelo Suna was the one that caught my eye. I I think he is a great baseball player. You look at his stats, it. He is very, very good, and he's been very, very consistent over the course of his career. Um, You take out his rookie year in 2013. He's had, every single year, he's had greater than 10 home runs. And all but one of those years, he's had greater than 20 home runs. Now, he did have 18 in 2020, so he would have very clearly had over 20 had this been a full season. Uh, You look at his batting average this year, 338. Career average of 276, and he's going to hit you 20, 30 home runs. Like that to me was the one that's just like, okay, you have whoever is your leadoff hitter, 
whoever you decide, if it's Avi Garcia, you know, Urias, wh- whoever is the leadoff hitter, then you have Christian Yelich, Keston Hira, and Marcelo Osuna. Or you could d- go Keston, Yelich, and then Osuna. Like, that to me would give those two players that struggled this year and Yelich and Hira to so much backing and and make them get pitched to so often because he's sitting behind them ready to just destroy the ball out of the ballpark. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Azuna. I mean, he was traded in the same offseason as Yelich from the same team and to the Cardinals. So, like, when that first all initially went down and Yelich won the MVP in 18, I was like, hell yeah, we picked the right guy. Like, I'm sure the Brewers were in talks for trading with Azuna, too. Um, But we picked the right guy. And then he goes out and has the year he did this year in 2020. I mean, he signed a one-year deal with the Braves, bet on himself, and it's going to pay off. He's going to get a crazy good payday um, this year. Um, So I'm glad you brought him up. Yeah, like you said, fit-wise, that's obviously would be the problem there with him unless if you were able to move one of our other outfielders to the DH or, you know, whatever happens there. I don't know. Avi to center field. What happened to your boy Kane? (laughs) Well, if if we sign Marcelo Suna, someone's got to go. Well, I guess we'll we'll just move Avi out of the – we'll just move Avi out because (laughs) my boy Kane, my boy Kane, we'll we'll keep him in there for a year and then – you got Yelich and Marcelo Suna on the corners, and it's just going to be Rake City. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> All right. Um, the the guy I picked off of this list was DJ LeMayhew, mainly because he could fit a need for the Brewers, primarily a second baseman. Obviously, if DH is around, you could have just have Keston DH all the time. Uh, but LeMayhew also spent a good amount of time at third base, which – could be a, a need for the Brewers as well, because they could just shift Jerko and Volgabach over to first, and you, you feel pretty good about our infield. <laughs> um, and then bringing in LeMay, who's obviously a huge offensive boost. I mean, the guy's just hit throughout his entire career. I always thought initially maybe it was just because he was with the Rockies, and you know that contributes to everything. I mean, despite him not being a you know a crazy good power hitter when he was with Colorado, he's always hitting for high batting averages. And then he went to the Yankees and just continued, found his power stroke last year at 26 homers with the Yankees, 102 RBIs. (laughs) I don't know, maybe. (laughs) Uh, But I mean, look at like some of his best batting averages throughout seasons, 348 in 2016, 310 in 17, 327 in 2019. And then in the shortened season, 364. (laughs) Uh, So, his contract's going to be a shitload of money. I mean, I don't know why he just signed for two years with the Yankees unless he was looking to get another payday, which could very well happen. Um, but that's the one guy I would like to, to reach for, despite him probably going to require more than probably $15 million a year, I would guess. <laughs> yeah, that that's definitely probably out of the Brewers' price range. But it, it is always fun to like look at what a splash signing could make this team look like. Like, if Osuna came to the Brewers, instantly the best outfield in baseball, and I don't think it's anywhere close. And then you bring in LeMahieu, if that's the option, if that's what happens, like, that all of a sudden makes, you know, a big question mark, not a question mark at all. And he's a guy, you know, he doesn't rely on that power. You mentioned he hits for a very good average over a career 300 hitter, 
Um, did very, very well this past season and a shortened season at the plates in terms of batting average. Led the league in batting average and on-base percentage. And he also led, led the league in OPS+. Plus. Just he, he had a great season, and that's not completely out of the norm. You know, 364 was probably a little bit high. Probably not something he's going to sustain. He did have a year back in 2016 where he hit 348. So it, he's not... He's a guy that is consistently, you know, above that 300 or at the very least pretty close to that 300 average. So definitely a guy that could be beneficial. But like we said, Ozuna, LeMahieu, probably not going to be in a Milwaukee Brewers uniform anytime at all, probably. (laughs) Yeah, most likely not. Same with George Springer, who would probably be the third guy on my list, minus the first two that we talked about. So (laughs) we'll keep dreaming about these guys. Maybe Mark Anastasio will go bet all his life savings at the whole chunk casino, and then we'll be loaded. We'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but I think that's going to wrap us up here for today. Uh, we'll be back next Monday with a podcast to talk about off-season additions to add on the pitching side of things. So we will do this all over again. More fun. We'll, again, start with realistic options and then switch over to some some more not-so-realistic ones. But until next time, we'll talk to you later, Brewer fans. Trust in Stearns.